Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's September 7, 2018. You're listening to the best poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm a frigid Scott Long. <laughs> right before we started the show, Scott's blowing his nose and... <laughs> That cold uh, winter air will do it to you every time, won't it? Oh, man. I tell you, this Canadian province of Minnesota, geez. <laughs> what are you doing up there? Uh, well, of course, you know, my love for hair metal takes me to inhumane places on the planet, including Minnesota once a year. Um, so, no, it's one of our annual uh, music festivals my best friend Amy and I come up, uh, travel for. So, it's always a good time over here, but it's always more fun to be a whiny little... Um, as Bill Maher would say, whiny little biatch <laughs> about the weather. Uh, but, you know, the funny thing is, is like uh, I met a new friend um, at home who uh, is from Minnesota, and uh, she was wondering if I could do something this weekend. I'm like, no, nah, sorry, I'm going to be up in Minnesota freezing my baguettes off. And she's like, oh, it's still going to be warm then. And I'm like, it should be warm then. It never is. <laughs> And, of course, look at last week at the weather. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you might be right. And then two days ago, packing. Nope, not right at all. I'm right. <laughs> I think the thing I'm most shocked about is that I'm not your best friend. <laughs> you hurt me. Yeah. You hurt me good, yeah, Scott. Yeah. Well, the good news is uh, my friend Amy just found the heat button in the cabin, so we both froze last <laughs> night. But now we're... Nice. You might notice as the show goes on, I'm thawing. So. Did you, did you like rent a car with heated seats? Uh, no, I didn't have any seats, but it's a nice car, so, hmm. Not a Camaro. Well, I, had, I didn't figure it out. I'm sure it's not no, a Camaro, no. no. Okay. Ford Edge, though, which actually is much better than I thought it would be. Oh, that's cool. Nice car. Yeah. Okay, let's do poker. You think? All right. <laughs> uh, all right. <clears throat> the Hendon Mob, the world's most complete database of poker results, is now allowing some players to have their information deleted or to rename the results using a nickname. The move comes in response uh, to new European Union privacy laws. And while Gopher Poker Index, which now owns the site, says players opt uh, opt in to having their names publicized when they enter tournaments and casinos or tour stops to report results, they will allow players who email support at thehendonmom.com to request that the results be deleted or attributed to a nickname. Uh, this is one of those things that, um, as as a as a I guess, I don't know, a, a person who uh, thinks that everybody should be able to do it, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, do whatever you want, you know, I'm I'm fine with it. So, and one side of me says... A libertarian streak in you. Yeah, I mean, one side of me says, hey, you know what, if, if they want to request it, and Hendon Mop, it's their site, if they want to allow it, I'm fine with it. The other side of me, the businessman, uh, says, oh, this sucks, because... You know, a lot of times I rely on Hendon Mob 
to give me the most, you know, uh, up to date results or, or just the fact that sometimes they're the only site that has a result from something that we weren't uh, attending ourselves, you know, and I want to know, you know, how this player did, or I want to verify a fact or something. Now it's like, Hey, go look for John Smith on Hendon mob. And then I'm looking up and I find like, you know, the juggernaut now is the guy's name or, you know, or something. I don't know. And so how accurate will that stuff be for me when I'm trying to verify stuff for the magazine that I can't be in Oklahoma for a tournament or something. So I'm, I'm, I'm both sides of the coin on this. I, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it, but I, I, I think everybody has the right to this stuff. If, if Hendon Mob wants to allow it, it's their site. They can do whatever they want. I don't know if that will hurt their credibility um, at all, but because of these privacy laws, then I guess they think that that's needed. So, you know, I'm fine with Global Poker Index doing this. It's just, it's going to suck for, for us. I think at some point there's going to be a problem where I'm going to be like, ah, I can't verify this or I can't find this person. And... You know, that was one of the sites I used a lot when I did editing for the magazine. Yeah, I think it's um, <clears throat> it's unfortunate. Um, obviously, this, this EU thing is is caused ripples all over the place. I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody listening to the show hasn't had a uh, spent four hours um, just opening emails <laughs> with updated privacy policies. No one actually reads it, right? But yeah. updating, uh, opening emails of everybody updating privacy uh, notices because of this. Uh, I'm sure the uh, the law was in good spirit, but it's it's really we're seeing some really unintended consequences of it. I think now, um, and you know, kind of like what G- what GPI says is like you know, hey, we're not violating anybody's privacy here. When you enter a tournament from a room that reports results, you should know <laughs> that they are being reported, and you are tacitly, if not um, deliberately, uh, allowing them to use your name. Uh, for these results, so then to turn around later and say, "Hey, my privacy is being violated," that's that's a problem. And I know that's one of the things that we struggle with here at Danny Up. At, at you know, every once in a while, we get people calling and um, wanting the results taken off our site for whatever reason. Um, and the first thing to say, like, you know, the best way to keep your results off our site is not to play in the events that yeah. we are going to put on our site. But um, so, a couple of things. One. Uh, I still do believe that. I still do believe that if you're going to enter something, you know, own it. Um, I, I feel terrible. I really do for these people that work in industries like banking and other things that still look down on poker and and prevent people from getting jobs or promotions because they want a tournament. That's just beyond ridiculous to me. Um, so I feel for that, and and I don't want to drive people out of the game. Um, and that's half of what I'm saying, I guess. But. Um, so that's frustrating. The other side is, I, all right, so if they want to delete it, all right, they delete it. That's fine. It, it disappears. I mean, it's still kind of a problem. Um, but I, I don't understand why they need to go to this attributed to a nickname. Yeah. It would be better just to say, hey, if you don't want your results up there, you're not going to be able to call yourself King Kong. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Use your real name or have them deleted. Uh, that, those are two choices. They're fine choices. There's nothing wrong with either one. That's your choice. Now, this third one, I think it just, it, it it has the potential of making the site a joke if everybody jumps in and says, hey, I want to use a nickname. You know, and, and some people might want to use it not for reasons of not being able to get employment, but just because that's what they like. You know, the hey, call me Swaggy C, right? <laughs> Swaggy C. That's my nickname. You just stole it. I was going to put it on Hendon Bob. 
Well, I just stole from Big Brother on CBS this week, so. <laughs> yeah, now from now on, I'm going to be known as Will Hopper on the on the Hendon Mall. Uh, well, no, I mean, I just, yeah, see, that's what I'm saying, right? You know, you pick hey, whatever you want to be, and that's what you are on there, and no one knows anybody. I mean, that was part of the problem with online poker until uh, poker journals really do a good job of letting you know who, you know, these people were. Um. You know, the historical part of me loves an accurate historical record. You know, we're going through a period here with the EU now that may not last forever, but 100 years from now when people are researching poker and they're not going to know who's who because of this, that's a problem for mm-hmm. me on a historical level. Um, uh, and I guess the other part that they, they mentioned um, – is players do actually use this site to size up competition. I mean, I use it at the final tables of any uh, poker tour events or during any uh, poker tour events when, I, when we get close to the money. You know, I start popping people's names and to, to, you know, see where they've been, where they are, which helps me in the article. also helps me to understand their play when I'm watching. And if I can't find them in there or I have to Google their name to figure out what their nickname is and then go back to <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just kind of frustrating now. I mean, I'm sure there's no no players are really bemoaning that. Oh, gosh, you're not going to be able to figure out that I have seven circuit rings now because I changed my name. But um, it, it is something to consider. So um, I guess I'm saying I don't think anything positive is coming out of this, and it's it's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, just think about John Pearl Jam, Pearl Jammed, Pearl Jammer, Jammer, whatever. You know, <laughs> how many nicknames that guy has. You know, if P. Diddy ever gets into poker, forget it. <laughs> John Puffy Combs, Diddy, P. Diddy, whatever the hell. You know what I mean? That guy's going to have 20 nicknames on there. His nicknames list going to be longer than his caches. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I, like I said, I, 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 I agree with you, too. The nickname thing is the, is the final straw on it. If they want to not have their name on there, hey, and, and, and the site wants to allow it, whatever. That each, you know, power for himself. But, that, but this case here, the, the nickname thing, that's just, you could, it could turn out to be, all right, what the hell is the site really doing for us now if we're just putting up a bunch of nicknames and stuff? So, um, I, well, I, uh, I'm, I'm we happy. might be overreacting a little bit here because the article I read said that um, they may not um, accept requests from U.S. players because you're not in the EU and therefore not subject to it, right? right. So, if that's and that wasn't attributed to anybody from GPI, so I don't know if that was a reporter just making that up or whether GPI is actually going to do that. Um, but, it, you know, I chose the words re- purposely here to request that the results be deleted or attributed to a nickname. You know, it's possible that you say, hey, I want to be uh, Chris Will Hopper Casenza, and they write back, nope, sorry, no reason to. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how it plays out. But Well, it's a good thing we're a worldwide podcast, otherwise this whole leading uh, item would have been useless, so... <laughs> All right, the WPT Women's Poker Summit recently concluded, and it was an opportunity for the audience, which included men as well, to brainstorm ways to get more women to play poker. The biggest point made uh, was having poker rooms and tournaments get serious about enforcing zero-tolerance policies for abuse of all players, not just women. Other ideas suggested included better education for women interested in playing and female-to-female staking opportunities. Anything that can get more women into the game is a great thing. I was very happy to see the summit was coming. I think a couple of our writers were there, and um, it, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, it's a great game, and everybody should be enjoying it. And everybody should feel safe doing it. And uh, you know, I don't know what I don't know what the answer is though. It reminds me of the. Uh, here's what I think you got to do, Scott. You, you, ever see, you watch the Big Bang? 
Uh, I watch it on planes because that's the only TV series that Southwest has that's worth watching. Okay, well, there's an episode that <laughs> says, uh, hey, you know, we've been charged with trying to get uh, more women into science. How should we do it? And what they do is they go to middle schools and they go to the middle school science classes and talk to the kids there and get the girls together. And so that's the answer. We have to go to middle schools and introduce uh, the young girls there to poker. Or or just not allow Melissa Rouch to be a scientist because that just intimidates. <laughs> like, I, you know, I can't look like that, so I'm not going to do that. Right. So. All I know is that uh, you watch. You see, you watch the the ones on the plane. <laughs> but really, I think maybe that could be the answer. You, you, but not obviously. Hey, kids, here's how to gamble. But you know, you sort of incorporate the math part of it, and then maybe you approach, you know, people in college, you know, uh, the math uh, department and stuff like that, and you start to talk to them about. You know, because there are courses. I mean, even one of our writers, or as a coach, used to teach a course at uh, Piedmont Community College uh, about poker and stuff. So stuff like that might help too. You know, you you go to you go to college campuses and you you host, host tournaments there for uh, for women or for you know you go to the sororities or something. Maybe that's something, but. Uh, I don't know. What do you? What have you ever had an idea about how to get more women in poker? Well, I, I think it's it's far more difficult than even that we imagine. Um, one of the the real takeaways from the summit was uh, Linda Johnson talking about her and Barbara Enright playing back in the seventies and, and men blowing smoke in their faces as a way of intimidating them away from the table, right? Yeah. And if you have a tough personality like Linda and Barbara, then you can get past it. But uh, most people, and my, <laughs> I'm including myself in that, you know, if you're blowing smoke in my face, you know what, eh, yeah. <laughs> uh, go somewhere else. <laughs> I don't need this, right? That's right. Um, but, uh, but beyond that, she said, you know, hey, back then about 1% of poker players were women, and here we are in 2018, and it's about 4%. So that's really the most staggering thing to me is that we've come – 40 years here and we've only got a incremental, a very incremental increase in, in women playing. And so that, that suggests to me that this is going to take more than one or two ideas. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of ideas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think there, we have to be honest, there is a, an element of you can uh, lead a woman to poker, but you can't make her play. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I think that's one of the things they really addressed here is that it's not that women don't play poker. It's that they choose just not to play in casinos or in tournaments or play there as often as they may, you know, maybe home games with themselves. Right. Where they um, and this is one of the interesting arguments you'll talk to some women, not a lot, but some that are very much against uh, women's tournaments or what they keep trying to call ladies tournaments. And I keep changing the women's tournaments. Yeah, in our <laughs> And, and again, it's a small minority, but they're like, you know, you're making, uh, you're making women seem like they're a different class by having a whole different tournament for them. Um, or you're just encouraging women to only play women's tournaments and they'll play other tournaments by having them. Because if you didn't have women's tournaments, then they would have to play the other tournaments and, and they'd maybe find out that they are uh, comfortable to play in them. Um, that's not the answer, but it's just interesting to think about. Um so uh, I, I can definitely get on board um, with this this 
zero tolerance for abuse. I mean, if you, it was also interesting in the article to go back that some of the things that they brainstormed and the reason women don't play are really the reasons that people in general don't play, right? Right. So, and, and this is it. It's, it's, we, we talk about this in poker one on one a lot. Uh, just to get intimidation factor in general. Take away any kind of rude, boorish players, right? But just the fact that when you sit down at the table and you forget to post your blind, or you don't put the ante in right, or you, you're you talking about your hand like you do in the home game, you didn't know it, and then people can't just, you know, politely tell you, hey, that's not how we do it. They yell and scream at you or make you feel like you're an idiot, right? Yeah. And then you decide just as to blow and smoke in the face. You know, there's a lot of things I can do. I don't need to be harassed here from being a new player and walk away. So those are the lessons I think we need to learn as poker players for everybody. Um, but it was also interesting how um, how stark Matt Savage was here and talking about the zero tolerance. He's a big fan of an interesting comment he made about how he threw a player out of a tournament for repeatedly abusing a woman and got a standing ovation from <laughs> the women in the tournament. Um, and this is the greatest moment, right? So, um, and that's, it really is kind of tough. I mean, think about how many call the floors and, and spotlights uh, where it seems like the floor is really weak and not wanting to make a decision that goes against a regular or just trying to keep everybody happy, and that ends up infuriating players. Um, because they want the rules to be enforced, and they want it to be a safe, fun place. So, uh, but on the operator standpoint, you always have to balance that versus um, alienating your players. Um, because at the end of the day, you keep your job by how much money you make, <laughs> um, and you can't go to the boss and say, "Hey, yeah, we raised down this 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 month, but guess what? We got nicer players playing." <laughs> um, so that, that that is really a challenge. If they can get that on board and get people to. You just get people to be more polite. I think that would help. Um, that's a start. It's a pretty good start, I think, for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Scott, your audio is uh, is not very good, so I just want the, the listeners to know that we have a poor network connection on your end. Uh, Skype is, is reporting that now as we're doing the show. Uh, I think it's the 14 degrees of, of uh, cold in Minnesota that's contributing to the Internet freezing up there, maybe. I did chisel the ice off the router this morning, so nothing like that. Okay, yeah, I I, uh, I hope that uh, I hope that this this sort of brainstorming uh, leads to more opportunities and, and more women in the game because every year, you know, they even report it in the World Series that less than five percent of the field was, was female, and that 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 really really sucks. So I hope that uh, the uh, the education here, uh, you know, inspires more people to play and, and get some things done. All right, the poker community has hailed shared player liquidity as what is needed to make online poker work again in the United States. But after Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware finally agreed to shared player pools, online revenue has barely increased. One reason, according to a PokerOnline.com article, is that WSOP.com is the only brand operating in Nevada, and as such is the only brand with shared players. Pennsylvania, the fifth largest state in the country, is launching online poker soon, but not indicated their plans to join the multi-state compact. Yeah, I mean that kind of makes sense. If there's only one operator in in Nevada, you know, and and that 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 means that there's no competition out there. It means maybe they're not getting as many people as possible that could play out there, and then to have them join in with these other ones. And it has increased. It's not that it hasn't increased. 
Um, it's just not a huge increase, that's all. Yeah, just not as much as anybody thought. Yeah, so, but it's still only three um, states, too. I mean, what are they, what are they thinking? Well, yeah, but you thought, I mean, again, and it's, uh, but the big state is New Jersey. So really, you know, we talked about this before. Uh, right. Not a lot of players, definitely not a lot of players in Delaware. Not a lot of players in Nevada except the tours that come in. So New Jersey was really the king being there. Now, if Pennsylvania jumps in, then I think we're really going to see a big difference here, um, I think. But, yeah, it's a huge state. Um, but this is an interesting thing for me if, as if from a government standpoint. Um, you know, back when I was a commissioner, I mean, one of the things you do is you work to, you know, implement laws and things to do things. But government can only do so much. Once you do that, it's up to the market and people to actually use the benefit of what you've done to make it work, right? right. So the fact that they eventually were able to sign a compact, which seemed to take a long time, and then everybody's like, all right, great. Uh, after that, it, it's up to the market and the players to, to make it work. And the market is not working in, in Nevada when you only have one um, one option to play. So, uh, it's the same, and therefore, uh, that's the only share you got. The other two sites, uh, the big sites in the other states, which seem to be doing quite well, um, are doing quite well on their own because <laughs> they're not sharing the players. So, that's nothing government can do at that point. That, that's something where competition needs to take off and or players need to support sites if they really want liquidity. Um, so will be interesting. It is, as you mentioned, the big thing. It, 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 this is not anything to worry about. I know it's three states, three fairly small states. Um, if Pennsylvania gets on board and we still have these problems, then that might be a different issue. But Well, the real answer is to just get together, all of them, and say, hey, you know what we really should do is we should promote the idea that we have player liquidity now and advertise it on in antiopmagazine.com. I mean, that's that's yeah, the thing. There you go. You know, come, like our, come to our website and uh, come to our magazine and, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you more players. You just got to advertise with us. People don't even know about you unless you're advertising <laughs> with us. Very good point. Uh, <laughs> any update? Rivers Casino in Schenectady, New York will be awarding 10 Ocean View cruise packages with $1,000 onboard credit for each of three upcoming Annie Up Poker Cruises. Players can win one of the packages for the October 29th sailing out of Tampa by being the hot seat chosen at 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. daily through this Sunday. Details on the giveaways for the April 20th and August 5th sailings will be announced later. For more information on this giveaway or any of our Annie Up Poker Cruises, please visit AnnieUpCruises.com. The Deep Stack Charity Classic, which Annie Up has helped sponsor for many years, is returning November 4th, but in a new location. After playing in Daytona Beach, Florida since its inception, this year's event will be at the Isle Casino in Pompano Beach. Everything you loved about the rest of the event is more or less the same, and they've added a party bus to take players from Daytona and Orlando to the event. For more information, go to DeepStackCharityClassic.com. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Comes from Mr. Mincash. See, speaking of anonymity, how are we allowing anonymity on the show, but we don't want uh, Hendon Mob to do it? He's from the European Union. We had to accept it. Oh, okay. He, he, I think this is the guy that uh, submits an op-ed to the New York Times, too. Uh, he says, all right, I'm a huge fan of the big blind anti-format, as apparently you are now, too. A tweak has been suggested that addresses a minor complaint. If, say, the table is six-handed, 
you're paying an ante that was set up for 10-handed play every six hands. This gets rather expensive per orbit. A uh, possible fix would be at the final table when down to six or fewer players, have the ante equal the small blind instead of the big blind. Borgata has been testing an interesting variant on this for two-day tournaments. Day one is big blind ante. Day two is normal ante. Your thoughts? Hmm. Um, well, <clears throat> this, this is really, I think, the last big complaint about the big blind ante. All the other things that people were worried about at the beginning have kind of like fallen away. So this is the last thing that I think poker are still struggling with. And I think as we mentioned on all the shows we've talked about, um, <clears throat> rooms are going to continue to experiment with this until the TDA summit next summer, when I'm sure there's going to be some kind of standard set at that point. So, um, <clears throat> I, you know, again, in theory, I understand what's going on here. Um, you know, you don't want to pay more antes than you're supposed to, uh, when it gets shorthanded in practice, I think it gets a little, I'm not going to say it's hard to do. It's, 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 it's doable, but it becomes tricky. So, I mean, one of the things is, I mean, what's the standard, right? Is it six-handed? Uh, is it five-handed? Is it seven-handed? Yeah. Any one you do, there's going to be some of the complaints that it's not accurate because you, the alternative is to do a self-ante where you pay the same amount, right? So either you are believing in the big blind ante, and that means you have to accept a couple of the warts like this one, or you are rejecting the big blind ante and you stick with the normal ante, which is, quote unquote, more fair. Um, given that choice, and I don't think that's uh, I'm being too black and white with it. I'm going to go with the big blind ante and this very minor wart. Um, again, at the end, if you don't want the antes to be um, too much of your stack, have a bigger stack. Floor, bring me a bigger stack, please. Thank you very much. And I say that as a short stack ninja. I mean, this is one of the things I really like about this is it's really encouraging players who have been timid, and myself included, to quit being timid and being more aggressive. And that is a very good thing for a poker player. I mean, you should never turn down something that forces you to be more aggressive, I think. Well, that I disagree with. Uh, I, uh, if people want to play the way they want to play, people have styles the way they want to play their styles. Now you can't force somebody to be aggressive. That's not their... You know what I mean? The, the rules of a game should never force you to do something that you don't have to nah, do. Nah, you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. Good, say it again then, because I'm not understanding. The rules aren't forcing you to do it. <laughs> the rules are changing, and that requires you to either change to reflect them or not change to reflect them. So the rules aren't doing it. They're just adding an incentive to – or not – incentive's wrong um, – are, are giving you an option of how you want to do it. So if you want to whine and complain – that the antes are too big with your short stack, that's fine. That's one choice. The other choice is to say, hey, the game has changed, the rules have changed, and I need to change with it. And if you choose that, that's fine too. That's what I'm suggesting you do. Oh, but okay. you're more than welcome to just be that guy in the corner um, with six big blinds complaining about the big blind ante for the rest of your poker career. Yeah, I don't have <laughs> a problem with them altering it, though, when it gets to, say, the final table. I mean, they do that all the time with all kinds of stuff with blind lengths and why not? Just, you could, if, if it turns out to be ridiculous that every time you get to the final table, you're paying ten antes when you're playing three handed, and that I mean, I, obviously it's going to speed up the game, which is also I think something that the poker rooms love because it gets it over quicker if they're going to continue to play it out well, rather than chop. Not just poker rooms. Let's submit this. Uh, it's it's poker players. 
too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't put it on the show notes because we had a lot else here, but Matt Savage on Facebook has been polling people on what they think an appropriate length for a one-day $175 buy-in tournament is. Yeah. Uh, and you can go to Facebook and read about it. We're not going to talk about it now, but, um, <clears throat> you know, it started at like, five o'clock at night and it ended in a chop at 5 a.m. in the morning the the one sample so is that an appropriate amount of time for that type of tournament or do people want it to be over sooner um i really do think players don't want to play 12 hours overnight for a 175 dollar tournament now if it's a thousand dollar buy-in then yeah but um so there is something to be said for the big blind nanny helping keeping the tournament Shorter, which obviously is always going to be a benefit to the poker room, but it's also a benefit um, sometimes to fields because the players know it's going to be a twelve hour a twelve hour tournament. They don't want to play a twelve hour tournament. They're not going to play it. So yeah. it's one of the interesting things people talk about. You know, give me more chips and a better structure. Yeah, you like that. In theory, people like it, but not all the players like it, and therefore the the field might be less because of that. So, and now if the field is less because of that, are the people advocating for it? Are they now still in favor of it? You know, it, it's it's a lot of second and third level thinking, not at the table, but even before you sit down at the table. I'm not capable of doing that. <laughs> That's why I'm the editor of a poker magazine, not starring in it. You can do anything you put your mind <laughs> to, you little Christy. <laughs> hey, I'm Will Hopper now, so. <laughs> I it's just Will Hop. Hey, Will Hop. That's what. Yeah, Will Hop. That's my. That's what I usually go by is Will Hop when I'm. When I'm uh, now, I, I would say maybe if you want to do a final table, you go back to a normal ante. All right, that's fine. Now you're only having one table. Everybody's on the same thing. You know, the final table is going to bleed, obviously. You know, you know. the other thing is when you get down to like six-handed with two tables, eventually you're going to go back to a ten-handed, right? So that's the weird thing is now now you got to change the ante to go back and expand. The final table, you're never going to expand, yeah, yeah. right? So. You know, that might be a, a compromise that I could get on board. When you get the final table, you go to a normal ante at that point. So when you get shorthanded, it's not ridiculous. Um, but other than that, right, at this point, from my experience with it and, and the people I'm talking about and watching it, um, that's really the only thing I can get on board with. I think when you get down those final two or three tables and you get shorthanded from the time to time and then go back to big hand, you're just going to have to fade the, the bigger um, ante. And change your play to affect that what that does to you in my opinion yeah. i mean i guess we'll see what the tda says next year but i wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of where they end up okay find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been email us a podcast at idiotmagazine.com we'll have hollywood casino toledo director of poker elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled this week's prize is a setup of j design playing cards the official playing cards of Annie Up Poco Cruises available at ClassicPlayingCards.com. This is Rick M. He says, I'm playing 210 spread limit hold'em in a Colorado casino. On the big blind with Queen 10 offsuit, there are eight players going to the flop uh, of Queen 10 9 with two hearts. I check, planning to check raise the aggressive seat to my right, and a few players after me check. Then the small blind speaks up and bets five bucks. Oops, I acted out of turn and I apologize to the table. So action is on me facing a $5 bet. I raise a 15. The dealer immediately calls over supervisor. Supervisor says, since I checked out of turn, my only options are to fold or call. I called the $5 and went on to win the hand with a full house. (laughs) 
At my home poker room in Maryland, they consistently rule that out-of-turn actions are binding unless action changes. But when action changes via a bet or raise from players you skipped over, then all your options reopen. So in this case, I would have the option to fold, call $5, or raise between 5 to $10 on top. Which room is correct? Elliot says, checking out a turn, then trying to raise when the action gets back to that player is pretty much the first angle that was shot in poker. <laughs> Second one was Wild Bill Hickok, but Yeah, uh, the first, I was going to say Fred Flintstone check-raised Barney Rubble, and then... Uh... <laughs> Uh, when poker started becoming all the rage in saloons and ranch bunkhouses all across the Western territories of the USA, this was the go-to move for someone shooting an angle. With the prices of bullets we- uh, wearing mightily on everyone's bankrolls and with fewer players available to take the place of those folks, aggressively accused, in quotes, <laughs> I shot dead, of <laughs> cheating, some rules had to be put in place. Chief among these initial rules is that someone who checks may not bet or raise when it gets back to them. If the button is allowed to check out of turn, induce a bet, then raise in proper turn, then no round of poker would ever have an opening bet from someone other than the button. The button already has enough power getting the act last. If the button can check out of turn and then raise when it gets back to them, the button will effectively be able to act first and last. Uh, this is way too much power for any other player to overcome. The game would be rendered unplayable, and we could have ended up stuck watching the WSOB on ESPN, the World Series of Bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might be interesting, actually. I've never actually watched Bridge. You know, maybe we should knock it. Nah. Uh, uh, so back to the modern rules of poker. Elliot says the remedy for an action out of turn is for the out of turn action to stand unless there's an intervening bet in the out of turn better, just as you described from the Maryland poker room. But the rule continues on to state that a check out of turn prevents the out of turn better from making any aggressive action. They can only check if checked to, and can only call or fold if bet into. This was correctly ruled by the Colorado supervisor. And, of course, a fold out of turn is a fold regardless of any betting having taken place. To be clear, the only time a player can raise after they've acted out of turn is that they have actually made an actual bet of chips out of turn. Interesting. I didn't realize yeah. that. I got this wrong, so I apologize to um, our letter writer. Um, but uh, that's why we have Elliot here, because he's a professional and I'm not. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. I mean, I how many times have we gotten that wrong over the years, probably, with like our own home game or somebody asking us when we're either on the show or when we're you know talking to somebody or, or even just viewing a tournament or something and somebody asks for opinion. That, that I've always thought, no matter what it was, if you checked out, you know, whatever you did out of turn, once something changes from what you did, then you can do something different. That's weird. I didn't realize Yeah, I would that. say when, when I read Elliot's response when I came in, I'm like, it did come back to me. I'm like, oh, you know what? I, I am aware of that. But it's one of those things, you, you at least I, and it sounds like you too, um, don't remember, obviously, yeah. clearly. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> you know, it, that you, you get stuck on that first part of that rule, and you forget the second part of the rule. Um, and it makes sense now that, you know, that it explains it. Um, you know, one more reason to pay attention. Because yeah. um, obviously um, Rick here wasn't trying to shoot an angle; he just missed the player. It happens to all of us, right? So, um, but if you're paying attention, then you don't have to worry about that. But and I like that the dealer called the floor immediately. He didn't just lean over to Rick and say, "No, you yeah. can't do that." And have a conversation with him, just like floor, you know. And that's the way to do it. And uh, turns out they were right. They're doing the good, good, good things in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite parts of our show this week, we get to complete an O'Malley's move. We're going to find out what he did. So here comes part one again, and we'll meet you on the other side.
welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We're still playing 2-3, no limit hold'em, and our stack has dwindled significantly. Our last table broke, and we're at a new table, with only three other players from the previous table. This table is ten-handed. We've been playing at this table for about a half hour and sit with around 175, down 125. Again, we're in the small blind and post. The big blind posts. We get two callers to the cutoff, who makes the standard $15 raise. A little light with two callers, but it's folded to us, and we look down at the ace of spades, king of clubs. Okay, a premium hand in the worst position at the table. I'm going to raise here. We make it $45 to go. An MP calls. This player has been pretty solid, but relies too much on his reads. He sizes both us and the cutoff up before making this call. He sits with around 400. The cutoff also thinks for a short time before calling. He's also a decent player, but can have difficulty laying down a hand when he's beat. He started the hand with 250. There's around 125 in the pot, and the flop is the 8 of spades, 7 of spades, deuce of clubs. I really don't like c-betting into more than one opponent, so in my mind, we took our shot, we missed, and it's time to move on to the next hand. We check. To our surprise, the other players check as well. The pot stands at 125-ish, and the turn is the five of spades. So, we have 130 in our stack, the ace-high flush draw, and two overs. What's the move? Um, we have to bet here. Uh, if it checks around again and we hit our flush, we won't get anything out of our opponents. If one of our opponents has a made flush, we have outs to catch up. I'm going to bet about half the pot or $60. You know, I don't like the check on the flop after three betting. Uh, but now that we did that, yeah, we, we have to bet um, to, to get money if we make the hand or at least to make it look like we had a huge hand and check to let people catch up. Maybe a bet here is what makes our initial check look fishy. People who don't bet after you know, three betting or, or even raising preflop uh, often are looked at like they have a huge hand anyway. So let's try to get that reputation and, and bet here and try to take it down. And if not, like you said, if somebody has a flush and wants to get in with us or get involved, we, we still have outs. So um, I don't like checking that flop, but uh, now that we're getting another chance to bet, we need to bet. Yeah, I think so. Let's okay. see what happens. Yeah, here comes part two. Hello again. I don't think we have the best hand here but I do think a shove could win this pot for us. I don't want to check and let one of these guys take it away with an inferior draw, and I don't want to make a tough decision. I would much rather make them make a tough decision. We shove our remaining 130 into the pot. The MP thinks for what seems like an eternity. One of the other players actually called the clock on him. The MP ultimately calls. The cutoff thinks for a shorter time period before folding the 10 of hearts, 10 of clubs face up. We turn over our ace of spades, king of clubs, and the MP starts to peacock about how he had me on exactly ace of spades, king x. Really? You narrowed my range down to one possible holding? Either you're the best reader of cards in the world, or you're full of crap. Or you got incredibly lucky this one time. All in all, our opponent turns over the five of diamonds, tray of diamonds. Blech. But after the six of spades hits the river, we more than double up. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, never narrow your opponent's range down to one exact holding. This guy was right this time, but it might come back to bite him in the future. I hope to see you on the felt.
Uh, okay, I'm curious whether my half-pot vet would have kept the pocket tens around. Um, we would only want that if we were results-oriented, obviously, because that hand was better than ours. Um, but it would have been interesting to see. So Yeah, I mean, 70 bluffs are a staple of Nolan and Hold'em. So it's nice when they work out like that. So kudos to O'Malley and uh, nice river. All right, it's time for the advancedpokertrain.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiquemagazine.com. If you don't want something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Isaac Brown back in the house. And this is, he says this is from a 1-1 one, one, uh, No Limit home, home Cash game. Everybody's playing extremely loose and extremely in italics. So he means it. <laughs> Uh, with the cutoff being a maniac who calls almost any bet pre-flop with any two cards. That's the kind of maniac I like in my game. It's the ones that push you off of hands that I don't like. Uh, but yeah. If I know that he's going to call with anything, I mean, this is going to be a juicy game, right? I'm going to need to have some money behind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Heroes on the button with $146. Um, under the gun plus two limps, the hijack limps, the cutoff limps. And is on us on the button again. King of diamonds, king of hearts. Well, that's a lot of people in that pot um, already, and we want to protect you know this type of hand from just any rags getting in to see a flop. Um, you said it's a one-one game, right? So that's already three bucks in plus the blinds for five. You know, I'd probably make it ten. I, I, I think we really need to. In this case, you know, thin the field a little bit. Every time you have kings, an ace comes on a flop, it seems. And you, you're going to really want to make sure these guys def- cut at least define them. Yeah, they're ace, ace magnets. Ace magnets in your memory. Yeah. They are not. They miss them. They do. But we got to make sure that, uh, you know, we're we're thinning the field a little bit. We want to increase the odds that we're going to win with this uh, and not hurt ourselves, you know. So I'm going to make it like 10 bucks. No reason not to, you know. Where are we? You said we're... Uh, we're the, we're the button, button. yeah. So yeah, so we're the button. So yeah, and and it might even disguise our hand too. They might think, oh, he's just trying to play position or whatever, and and it's a loose game apparently, extremely loose, as you said. So uh, let's make it ten. Yeah, and and that's what makes me cautious about a uh, ten dollar raise here. I mean, I don't know what the extremely loose tag is, mostly because of the cutoff, which is in this hand, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, who's the maniac, or whether everybody plays a little more loose than they normally do. Um, but either way, because the, the maniac is in his hand right now um, and calls almost any bet preflop with any two cards, this is what I'm talking about. This is why I like him in the game right now. So I would go, I'm probably going to go 15 here, and I wouldn't um, be opposed if someone said 20. It's a big bet for a 1-1 game, but we have a lot of people in. I don't want to see this flop with, with three people. I want to thin it. Um, I don't know if 10 is going to work. That's great. I mean, obviously, we don't know. We're not in this game, right? Yeah. But based on the way it's described, I'm not going to think that – I'm not going to believe that 10 is going to succeed in thinning this field as much as I want. Plus the fact that the the Maniac calls anything pre-flop. I mean, it's a, a chance for us to build some value right now, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. one of the dangers with raising big with aces or kings or queens is that everybody folds and you get the – uh, the blinds and you miss out on value here. It seems like our chances of missing out on value, not getting a call are very minimal. So therefore our value comes in betting a, a higher amount 
to get this guy to call now. And then, yeah, you know, if an ace comes or some other kind of weird combination, we lose the hand. That that's unfortunate. But right now, we have to assume that our kings are are good, and uh, we have an opportunity to get some money in the pot pre-flop. And I'm not going to give up that value. So. I'm going a minimum of 15 here. If someone says I'm going to go 20, I'm not going to criticize them. But yeah, it does. It does seem like a big bet for a one-one game. I mean, you're still you're still trying to get, you know, you start you're trying to stay within the parameters of the the, the confines of your your betting structure here. It does seem like 20x is pretty big. If you were playing one-two with this team, would you really? make it 40 now. I mean, it, it just seems like 20 is a little steep, but you're right. 10 might not be enough, but it, if it's enough to get you to one guy or two guys, you know, that's, that's oh, okay. You're getting your value, but 20 is a yeah. lot, you know, I don't know. Maybe I think 15, I, I, I would go 10 to 12. You'd go 15. So I wouldn't argue with 15 either, but 20 just seems a little steep. Well, again, I said I wouldn't go 20, but I would not. No, I'm saying if somebody did, I just think that's a little too big, but yeah, let's, let's go with the, Let's go with like 12.5. <laughs> All right. Our hero goes with six. How's that? Oh, that's not good. Probably not good, right? Probably not good. And you got an extremely uh, loose table and they've got already $5 in the pot. You make it six. All they got to do is call five and extremely loose players call five and they know the other guys are going to call five. So they're getting huge odds on their money. To win, you know, that's just that's just not enough money. You're yeah, not I think you turn this into a set mining now, and not only turn it into a set mining hand, but you've paid extra to set mine than you needed to. Yeah, right? that's right, that's right. You know, if you want to set mine it, just limp, and it's only going to cost you a dollar, and then that's great. But now you're, you just you added five more dollars to the <laughs> to your to your set mining, which rem- remember is two cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I uh, definitely need to be more here. So let's see what happens. All right, the small blind calls, big blind folds, um, and all the limpers call. So let's went to uh, four callers. Ugh. Pots, 31 bucks, not what we wanted, right? Ugh. Um, the flop is the queen of diamonds, five of diamonds, four clubs, and it checks to us on the button. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's still a pretty decent flop for kings, but you have no idea what they have because you didn't bet enough to thin the field to somebody who might, you know, the hair, the the crazy guy you talked about earlier, the maniac, or whatever. He he might have anything, but you know, in this case, it's still a pretty decent flop. But it is coordinated. You got flush draw diamonds. You got straight draws for the wheel. Somebody has ace tray or ace deuce or something, um, or even six seven. So, you know, you. you, you 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 got to make up your mind right now. You got to say, all right, I think these guys are on are going to be on a draw, and I need to get them out of this hand because, or some of them out of the hand. Right. Be, be, you know, what I mean, I know a lot of people will say, oh, you want them, you want them calling, but you got to still make it a price that they're going to be like, eh, do I really want to get involved with this hand with the guy who, you know, raised us pre flop. Uh, to try to hit this baby flush or something. You know, I mean, it, it, and a lot of people will. If they're extremely loose, they're going to call pretty big bets anyway. So you might as well make it a big bet to make them really pay the price and then put the hammer down on the turn if it misses and then make up your mind on the turn what you're going to do. But if you're, Or you got to say to yourself, well, I didn't hit my set, so may I let them dictate the hand now. Um, you have control of the hand right now, even though it was only a $6 bet. Do you want to give up that control? 
they check to you, you're in position, and you have control with the, the bet preflop. So I tend to like to keep control until someone tells me otherwise. So I would make a bet. I would make a pretty big bet here. Um, I would probably bet near the pot, like 25 bucks. Yeah. Um, and here's the problem that we have now, though, I think, by the, the, the tiny little raise we made preflop is that this is an interesting board. If we get a, if we get somebody with a queen, they're more likely to come along with this, which is what we want, right? Mm-hmm. But we got so many players in the hand that we can't dismiss somebody like maybe even the small blind having like five four or something ridiculous like that. Um, which again might be all right depending on what else comes down the board. But um, you know, so if we bet and they get raised, I don't know how confident we can be that we still have the best hand now. Whereas had we raised 10 or 15 preflop and got down to one or one or two collars, I would feel more confident when that raise comes that it's coming from a naked queen rather than something that has its beat. Yeah. So all that being said, though, I think we still got to make the bet. It's what I'm saying is it's just it's we, we put ourselves in a more perilous, uh, perilous position by not doing it before. So. Yeah, I was going to go for the whole pot at 31, but 25 is fine too. But again, anything less than 25, I think we're in trouble here. Yeah, these are the type of hands that you have to think before you act. I mean, it's not one of those automatic C-bets. This is something where you got to realize the situation that Scott just laid out for you. And you need to, you need to if you're going to bet, you need to bet strong. And then if they come over the top and shove on you, then you have a decision to make. Um, but in this case, you really need to get this field either just to fold or to get down the one person who has that queen who doesn't believe thinks you have ace king or something, and then then you can sort of you know judge it from there for pot size, pot control. But in this case, yeah, I agree with Scott. Anywhere between twenty five and, and the whole pot is is a good bet, I think here. All right, let's see what do we do. Um, he says I played um, with the small blind a lot. He's a very loose player, tends to call too much, and is very tricky. Uh, the cutoff obviously is that same very maniacal player playing almost three cards extremely aggressively. I felt that the flop was extremely good for me, and I could extract a ton of value from a queen, so I bet $20. Uh, well, let's see. There's 31 in the pot. You've bet 20, so now there's 51 in there. So 20 to win 51, eh. If you're drawing you might, with implied odds, you might you might want to make that call. So I don't know. That might not be big enough. Yeah, I think maybe a little bit more. Now, I don't know the difference between 20 and 25 in terms of calling. You know, maybe those players don't go away, particularly the way they've been described. So that might be more reason to do the 30. Um, the good news is, I'm sorry, I didn't finish uh, both the small blind and the cutoff calls. Oh, okay. uh, uh, no one raised us. So the fact that no one raised us is pretty good to me as long as the diamond doesn't come or another thing that's connected around that 4 or 5. Um, then I'll feel a lot more confident now, unless these players, you know, as I think these players would tend to raise here with, with something else at this point. But uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, pot's now 91 bucks. The turn is the Jack of Spades. So our board now is Queen of Diamonds, Five of Diamonds, Four of Clubs, Jack of Spades, and it checks to us once again. Uh, well, again, they're checking to us. I mean, I... Only a set, maybe, would be walking the dog like this. I, I feel like somebody might have a queen, and they're cautious. Um, you know, could it be Queen Jack? It could be. Uh, it could very well be Queen Jack. Um, and I, I don't mind checking here if the board wasn't so coordinated. 
but the board is extremely coordinated. You've got flush draws, two straight draws, you know, um, and the straight draws are connected cards too. It's not like they're gappers or something. I mean, so, you know, any ace king that had the ace king of diamonds is not going anywhere. Uh, any nine ten diamond isn't going anywhere. Any nine ten period isn't going anywhere. Um, but it really feels like somebody has a, a, a naked queen and then maybe somebody's on a draw. So, uh, yeah, so I, yeah, I need to, I need to bet again. I can't check and give them a free card to just catch me. Um, so I would probably bet, let's see, the pot was around 91. I'd probably bet around 70. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was thinking maybe 65 or so the S was safe, no matter what I did S 60 or 70. So I was thinking while I was saying it, but probably around 70. Well, I, I was worried that there was a snake behind you. <laughs> and I was going to warn you, and then I realized I get the company if you die. So that's why I was like, I just mocked you instead. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, so seventy. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Like again, I think I think you have to be a two thirds or higher here of the yeah, plot now. Yeah. At this point, I, th- I think your your read is is spot on uh, based on what we know. I mean, obviously, when these home game hands are always hard for us to analyze because these players know the players well much better than we do. But yeah. It definitely does sound like somebody has some sort of a queen. Unlikely that it's two pair. I guess it could be as loose as people play here. And then the other one obviously does seem like a draw. And both of those, um, we want to bet pretty big because the queen's going to call pretty much anything that we bet. Um, And then we want to price the draw out so it doesn't get there um, or make them make a mistake. Um, So, um, yeah, I think it's got to be at least 60 here. Uh, Somewhere between 60 and 75 sounds Pretty good for me, I think. I just had a thought. Do, do you ever, when we were playing stud together, and we have, and it's going to the river and stud, do you ever realize that you make two pair a lot more often in stud than you do going to the river in Hold'em, even though well, it's the same to, premise? You have that extra draw, so yeah, I mean. It's, it's just, just weird. Like, I mean, it's still seven cards to you, so you have six cards right now. You have your two, and you have the four on the board. But it, it, I'm just saying to myself, it'd be nice if we could make, you know, our own two pair. I you know two, not our own two pair, like a four yeah, clubs would come or something. But right, you know, but it seems like in stud you pair a lot more often on the river in your own hand than you do. I'm not saying it's it's true. I mean, the, well, it's an interesting but. point you bring up because this is a one of the things that you need to remember with aces and kings is the board pairs. Now you've just um, sucked out on someone with a smaller two pair that they flop. Yeah. In this situation, I'm really only worried about somebody with queen five or queen four playing very loose. And in that case, if the board pairs, that's not good for us, right? right. So, um, I mean, it's possible that someone has five, four. But even that, if the five or the four comes, then it doesn't help either. So, I mean, it, it's I'm not sure what card I want the board to pair with at this point, yeah. the way this is now. I think I'd rather a non-diamond, non-Broadway non baby card to come like a good eight maybe <laughs> yeah eight that's not a diamond is really what i'm looking for on the river here to feel really confident um anything other than that is going to be kind of interesting but the good thing is we're on the button now so you know if everybody calls one more time i'm gonna have no problem checking behind on the river and taking down a pretty nice pot here rather than opening up the betting to have somebody that's been walking me um, or somehow got lucky with whatever the river is to to check raise me. So, I mean, the it, it, it's interesting, and it was with our minimum, our little tiny raise at, at 
pre-flop, we, we built a pretty big pot here for a 1-1 right now. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, our hero bet 65. Um, so mm. finally got to where we were at. Yeah. Was good. He said, I felt like a jack was a terrible card for me. There's no jack queen got there, uh, which is squarely in the calling range of the two players. However, oh. I wasn't... Yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. You said no jack queen, but was it probably now? Uh, oh, yes. Now that yeah, could, yeah, yeah, okay. no, that kind of... Um, <clears throat> However, I wasn't super concerned about the two pair sets as I thought they would check raise or lead out on a rather draw heavy board. I definitely felt I had the best hand. Since I thought at least one, possibly two of the opponents were drawing, I decided to make a fairly largest bet to try to extract value from the draws, who I felt call too loosely and top pair. Small blind calls, but the cutoff the maniac folds. The pot's now two twenty one. Well the small blind, that that's gotta make you Give you pause, right? I mean, it's I, always been my concern yeah. is him in there, I, you know, because that's the guy that could have the five four, right? Yeah, uh, or really any kind of weird two pair because he says he plays a lot of hands, um, calls too much, and is very tricky. I mean, those two things are it's almost like foreshadowing that we're going to lose his hand at this point, right? But um, yeah, I'd much rather have the other players stick around, but um, but I also think it's more likely that the small blind is the one that's on the draw here, so. Um, that will help us figure narrow it down on the river if the river misses all the draws. So, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I, I'm just I'm gonna be happy to get to this river and hope he checks to me, and then probably check behind unless it's something incredibly and blank. And I think that's the other benefit here too is more likely than not he's gonna check to us again, right? So yeah. at this point, in my mind, I'm done with his hand, um, or hope that I'm done with the hand and putting money in, and hope that. Um, you know, I that I end up taking this pot down. Uh, I I can't see myself betting if uh, if he checks to us now. Yeah. All right. The river is the nine of hearts. So the final board: queen of diamonds, five of diamonds, four of clubs, jack of spades, nine of hearts. Um, obviously it connects that. Uh, yeah, king ten or ten eight, but something like that, which seems unlikely. I mean, I I, I was going for an eight. Uh, I'll take a nine, though. <laughs> I think that's probably a pretty good card for us. Um, yeah, it's a very specific hand that beats us now. Like, it, it, there's three specific hands now that if you thought you were ahead going to that river, it's King Ten of, Club of Diamonds, Queen uh, King Ten of Diamonds, Ten Eight of Diamonds, and then maybe Queen Nine of any two cards. Those are really the only hands that beat you now. If you were convinced that you were ahead and you were ahead, so that's very specific to to lose a pot to. But at the same time. If he checks, I'm I'm checking faster than he does uh, behind and just taking down this pot if I can. Yeah, pretty big pot. So because we don't have that much left, we have like fifty bucks left. So even if we bet, you know, if this guy now the only reason to bet now would be to extract value because you're positive he has a naked queen, you know, and and how positive can you be on the river in this hand, in this game? So to me, I would just check behind if he checks. If he bets, then I only got fifty bucks left anyway. It's four to one of my money with an overpair. I'd probably still call. So no matter what, I think we're. We're seeing we're seeing the uh, showdown. Exactly, I agree with you on that. Um, all right, the small blind does check to us, and we decide to go all in for our remaining fifty five dollars. Uh, we say at this point, I'm almost positive I had the best hand and see no other option but the shove. Even though his opponent, uh, even though this opponent can be tricky and will typically check call down with two parent sets, I thought it was very likely that I would beat. Small blind snap calls <laughs> to our king king. Small blind shows king of clubs, queen of clubs. Huh. And we scoop up a nice $331 pot, more than doubling up. Um, I I don't know how 
I see no other option, he said, right? Yeah. But the shove, <laughs> the options check. You check behind and you take down a pot instead of getting somebody to check raise you in the end, hoping you, you're bluffing. Um, now, here's the way you got 55 more bucks out of this. And the guy had the perfect hand to call, right? Yeah, you know, God, yeah. that's crazy. All the way. So he was the top pair versus uh, the, maybe the other guy was the draw and got out uh, where we had him reversed. Um, so that worked out. But, boy, I think that's tough to figure that out there. Interesting, yeah, interesting that that guy didn't give you any kind of brushback at all the whole way. You know, like at one point he didn't try to define your hand at all. He just let you keep betting. Interesting. So, well, I, you know, it's interesting. Um, if you go back to the O'Malley's move this week, you know, where the the guy put us on one hand, Ace King, which just happened to be what we had. You know, it, it's interesting in my mind, and maybe I'm. I don't think I'm the only player who does this, but. Um, uh, it, my mind always defaults to ace king when I can't figure something else out, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's a hand that people are always going to raise with. Um, they're always going to see bet with, particularly on a uh, an undercard board like we saw on O'Malley's move. And if that's the case, um, the king queen had us beat here, right? And you know we just kept betting on the on the button when we had position, which is what we're supposed to do. Although. I guess with Ace King, you'd probably slow down on the turn, probably right. But um, I, I can't really fault uh, the small blind for for not brushing back. Um, he probably thought he was walking the dog with his queens, and then we just turn over kings. Um, and a lot of hands, I probably would brush back at some point here. But again, this, you're in the small blind, so it's difficult. So when you raise, you re- check raised on the flop, then you have to be the aggressor the rest of the way, right? Yeah. Um, and be comfortable with that. You know, maybe it's the turn is when you do that, but you know, we finally, we as the hero finally made a, a legitimate bet on the turn. So now it gets tougher too at that point. I mean, at that point, if he's going to check raise, um, it, it's it's going to be a min raise because it's we only had fifty five left at that point. So I don't know. It, I, it, I tell you, it's weird that he didn't do anything the whole hand though. Uh, at some point, you got to say, I'm either beat here. This guy just keeps betting into me, you know, because even if we had ace queen, he's still beat. You know, he's got the, right. the trap hand really there. It's interesting to play that hand all the way. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think he probably he probably did what I do, kind of default to ace king. You look for the hands that you hope that they have, and ace king makes sense all the way through here for us to have. And Until the river. Yeah. I mean, at the end, you, you, he still snap. Nobody keeps betting with ace king unless you're, you know, uh, what's his name? So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know who uh, who keeps betting Ace King all the way unless you're a huge bluffer. And it's funny because he called them extremely loose players, which is true. You can still be an extremely loose passive player, but it, this it just seems odd. Most people who are extremely loose aren't passive. They're playing a lot of hands, but they're playing the hands. This guy was passive the whole way with it too. Well, again, he was described as not only very loose, but also calls too much and is very tricky. And I think both of those things were evident in this in this hand. You know, he... Well, that was the Maniac, right? The Maniac folded. No, no, this is the small blind. Oh, the small blind is that way. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah, I can't write all these notes. This player tends to call too much and is very tricky. So, oh, okay. obviously, we saw him call too much through here, right? Rather than raise, which is what you were suggesting he should have done. Yeah. Uh, but he was also being very tricky, which is what I was suggesting, that he somehow narrowed us down to a hand that didn't have a queen in it and he was being tricky by walk 
walking the dog, even though it's, it wasn't as strong. It, it was a chihuahua dog that we're walking here <laughs> rather than a pit bull, right? Um, not necessarily defending him, but I'm just saying he, he did play play to his type here, as described. By, yeah, I guess like, so. I, I guess so. I was, you know, I was confusing with the maniac at the, at the far start, beginning of this, and then I was like, oh, no, wait. All right, you're right. It's the other way around. So, uh, very interesting. Uh, I, I don't know about that bet on the end there. I, that was, took some chutzpah there to, to bet on the end. And uh, you did it and got paid off. That's crazy. Um, but nice hand, yeah. nice hand, Ike. All right, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the table. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at 206 338 6344. If you'd like to advertise, Send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.